SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Thanks, Greg. Five minutes after six o'clock, Hilton Tarrant with you on the Market Update here on South Africa's News and Information Leader. Uh, lots to get through this evening, including an extended conversation with NASPRAS Chief Executive Chris Becker, the media company reporting its annual results today. We'll get to that just after quarter past six this evening. First up, Google it and Fupi has your business news. Thanks, Hilton. Good evening. The U.S. is a major economic partner for South Africa and continues to feature high on the list of trade and investment partners. These sentiments were shared by the Minister of International Relations, Maite Nguane Mashabane, today, who added that the U.S. is a major export market for South African products and an important source of foreign direct investment. And the South African Reserve Bank's monthly leading business cycle indicator inched up by a fifth of 1% in April from March this year, mainly due to an increase in job advertisements and the number of residential building plans passed. The indicator collates data such as vehicle sales, job advertisements, business confidence and money supply to gauge the economic outlook. Turning to the markets now, the JCO share index has closed off in positive territory, up by more than 1% today at 38,484 points. The rand is trading at 10 rand 9 against the US dollar, 15.52 to the pound and 13.20 against the euro. Gold trading at $1,276 an ounce. A barrel of Brent crude oil at $102 and the platinum price at $1,349 an ounce. Thanks a lot, Gugu. David Shapiro of Sasfin is with us. David, buyers return to the JSE. Hmm. Would you have been able to handle another rough one? <laughs> not, not another day. I think, I think the last three days have really been tough. And uh, In fact, when I woke up this morning, and started to look at Asian markets. I was just—I went to the gym. I just, oh no, you know, <laughs> just trying to de-stress, trying to work out how to handle it. But um, there was a comment by a Chinese official saying that the uh, credit crunch would be, or the tightness in money markets would be temporary. It gave gave the markets some kind of of hope because Chinese markets at one stage were down five percent and uh, picked up a little bit, and then we had really good uh, numbers out of the U.S. and a good confidence numbers, housing numbers, durable goods numbers. And I think they've just added a little support. This time, the good news actually brought good markets. You know, uh, even though Bernanke, uh, it, it, it reinforces the view that, that maybe um, there will be an early withdrawal. Although, I must admit, a lot of commentators that I'm listening to say it's far, far too early and we'll only start to see it next year. Nevertheless, uh, U.S. markets up nicely. And it just uh, we would have had a much, much better day if it wasn't for all this nonsense in the gold mines. You know, gold shares came down tumbling again, platinum shares down on just on concerns about strike action. So take that away, uh, it would have been a, a much uh, much better day than just one percent. Anglo Gold Ashanti, David, 140 rand a share. Uh, obviously, Anglo American no longer holds a stake in that company, but Anglo also under pressure, just above 200 rand a share. A uh, lot of pressure, as you say. You, in you know, the, when in we the... say 200, remember. We've been saying, you know, 230, 240, this is a great company, you know, buy the share under price. Go look at every valuation from analysts today. I will tell you uh, um, that on in the long term, whatever that means, uh, this is a giveaway. And yet, uh, you know, we're 20% down from those levels at 200. Um, we're now, and we, we, you know, as I say, we, we're out of the championship placings. We're down at number six position in market cap for mm. Anglers. League one. League one. <laughs> Impala Platinum, David, uh. 86 Rand exactly ending the day. Well, it's the same story. Mm. Uh, just 
these these shares are just losing value. There's hopefully there's there's going to be a rebound, you know, when common sense prevails in the labour market. Um, we've also had gold price coming down. There's the Indian story that uh, they're limiting imports, and uh, but but mine, the good news story was Kumba, which was up four percent, and that's on an increase in shipping that's taking shipping rates that are taking place, suggesting that the Chinese are are buying ore again. You know, which was a, a positive slant to the whole mining stats, uh, um, you know, to the mining stats. On the other side of the market, we saw big jumps in some of the insurance businesses, Discovery, Sunlum, Old Mutual, uh, a big jump uh-huh. in Investec as well, some of the financial services names there, and then retailers, uh, big rebounds there, yeah. Woolies, ShopRite, mm-hmm. uh, a, a good couple of jumps, Trueworths. After being oversold, and mm-hmm. I, think, I, I don't think it's too early to call that uh, we're going to see a permanent turnaround or recovery to where we were. Uh, we need a few more days of of, of turnaround and of of buying and confidence returning to actually then feel confident to you know to start picking up bargains. African Bank Investments able plowing new lows, fifteen rand mm. thirty. Mm. The PRC bought its stake probably at I, around about these levels. I, I, you know their worries. Uh, I was funny. I was with Kevin Ling's last night, and uh, you know he was looking at, at, at the bank returns, and it just suggests that that the unsecured lenders are holding back on actually lending. In other words, tightening their mm. books, meaning that they have to now just work on the runoff, which could put their their profits under pressure for a, you know for a year or so or even longer than that until they restructure their businesses. So I'd be a bit cautious about that side of the market. Just looking at at historical performance, if we look at the top forty, and we've had some rather unprecedented days mm. recently where mm. not a single share in the top forty mm. uh, showed positive returns. If you look at a, a number of periods uh, over one year, two years, five years, and ten years. There are only four shares on the JSE that appeared in the top quartile. So the top 25% of those companies, call it the top 10 Mm -hmm. uh, for that year, top one year, top two year, top five year, top 10 year, only four companies. I've got no idea which they are. (laughs) I've actually got no idea. Some of the quality ones. Some of the, the usual suspects will be like there. breweries or something like that. Naspers. Uh, oh, okay. Yes, Naspers. In fact, I was looking at the chart of Naspers today. I mean, it's, it's had a spectacular run the, over the last 10 years as they've expanded, of course, internationally. Richmond also. Okay, Richmond, yeah. Uh, and then one of the stalls, yeah. two surprises, I would have thought, Aspen and Discovery. Yeah, you're going to find similar runs. You know, these are new boys on the block. Mm. And I think they're enjoying uh, growth. And, and you know, it's, it's a very, very interesting. Have a look at that management. You know, com- th- these are managers that have taken small companies and have grown them into very large companies. It's the same story uh, in all of them, although Richmond probably a, a, dif- a, a different element. Look at Naspers, you know, where it's come from. Um, even though it's been around since 1915, I think it's, it's, it's you know, the last 10 years have been a, a decade if you've been in those shares and of unbelievable return and points to the quality of management there. Twelve and a half minutes after six, let's bring in MoneyWeb's investiga- investigations journalist Julius Cobbett. Now, Julius, you've been following the DefenseX scheme for a number of months. Judgment hand, handed down in the Western Cape High Court today for the first time. We now have details of the amount of money deposited into that scheme's account. What, uh, what sum of money are we talking about here? That's right, Hilton. The detail emerged for the first time today. 
Uh, we now know that there's 800 million rand that's been accepted from investors over the past year. What was seized in that account when, when the scheme was frozen? When the scheme was frozen, there's 320 million rand. So that's still there in the bank account. So now you've got to ask yourself, there's 496 million rand, and we've got to ask where it's been. And I can tell you where it's gone. If you look at the judgment today, it shows you that in the first two months of 2013, an amount of nearly 300 million rand was paid out to investors. This scheme was paying 2% a day. So that's already two-thirds of the 496 million rand that we know where it's gone. They were basically using new investors' money to pay out the existing investors. Our thanks to MoneyWeb's Julius Corbett, uh, Judge James Yakiso, David. <laughs> well, that's, class, that's a classic Ponzi. It's a mean, classic uh, Ponzi and a, and, a, and a damning judgment from the judge today. Very simple. He laid it out there. This is what happened. Yeah. So, I mean, so where does it go now? <laughs> well, the obvious thing is liquidation. I can't see any other alternative. But those investors who got the 300 have to give it back, I'm sure. The liquidators might pursue them, but of course, you know, we're talking about people investing small sums of money, and the legal cost to go and recoup each little sum is going to be more than what they got paid out. But surely the, you know, surely the, uh, the legal system does that for mm. the investors. Mm. You know, surely they don't have to claim. Surely their claims against them. Costs come out of the (laughs) estate. I'm telling you, some liquidator out there is licking his lips at this 320 million rand. The prospect of of that 320 million rand. And what's the what's the old saying, David? If it's too good, if it sounds too good to be true, it it probably Mm. is. Quarter past six. Let's bring in Peter Major of uh, KD's Corporate Solutions. Now, Peter, Mining Union, AMCU, tabling its demands for wage negotiations in the gold sector. We had NUM's figures. NUM wants 8,000 rand uh, entry level for underground workers, 7,000 rand for surface workers. Those increases are at around about 60% to what uh, what these miners are currently being paid. AMCU today asking for, or rather demanding, uh, if you read the the uh, document very carefully, uh, 12,500 rand a month for entry-level underground workers, 11,500 rand for surface workers. What do you make of these numbers? Well, it's all leapfrogging the previous guy. You know, MCU is saying, if NUM offers you guys this, we're going to offer you something 50% higher. And they're so busy quarreling with each other trying to get members that neither of them have their feet on the ground, neither of them want know what the mine situation is. It's just demand, demand. I think that's the most frequent word in the 11 pages that I read. It's demand. And so that's not negotiation. When someone breaks in your house and they demand the keys to your car, they demand the keys to your safe. What are you negotiating? So this is unsustainable even negotiating along these lines because you're not negotiating. You're giving in or they're going to, what, burn you down, go on strike? Um, I don't see... I don't see this getting resolved too easy, but it might just be show, and they might settle on a 9% by the end of the month. Who knows? The, the, the re- reality is that uh, over the past number of years, the chamber has settled somewhere between 7.5% and 10% a year. Are, are, are we likely to even see something in that ballpark uh, in, in, in the coming weeks? Yeah, I think we are, Hilton. Because maybe not in the coming week, but geez, I thought... The average over the last 10 years was closer to 12.5%, 13%, if not higher. So I think a lot of mines could probably handle 9% uh, 
increase overall because the, the rand has weakened quite a bit, so it's countered the fall in the metal price. But that will still narrow their margin. And boy, if the metal price falls much lo- lower, then they go into loss making. And then it's just closing shafts, closing mines. Beyond that, we might see a, a lot of unrest in the sector, surely, given given these demands, given the type of language, the hostile language used in, in the document, and, and given where those demands sit relative to reality. I'm hoping this unrest comes to an end. We do have a government. They've got a $1.1 trillion budget. Their job is to enforce the Constitution, enforce law and order, protect people and property. So if they would just start doing half what they're paid to do, we don't have to have unrest and destruction. And people aren't allowed to go on strike without following due process. But they've just been allowed to do it so long that they might at least start doing it here. Peter Major is mining consultant at KD's Corporate Solutions. David, some of these demands are just astonishing. Now, you know, I, I hear what Peter says about 9%, but uh, if you actually do the numbers, and he's closer to them than I am, and I'm, therefore I, I'm, I'm, I'm not inclined to argue with him, but it just seems ludicrous that you're going to get another 7 9% increase in wages at a time where you're getting admin costs, despite the RAND. I understand the RAND's going to give you a little bit of margin, but that's... We should be taking advantage of it, you know, because all it's going to do is shrink the mine's profits or make it more and more difficult for them to expand. And you, you, you really become a, a sunset industry, you know, it's eventually just going to close the industry down. SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Well, Chris Becker is Chief Executive of NASPARS, the media group out with annual results to the end of March today. Revenue topping the 50 billion rand mark for the first time, up 27%. Core headline earnings per share up 20% to 22 rand 16. Its dividend up 15% to 3 rand 85. Chris, this is a rather important year. The internet businesses in your portfolio are now your largest revenue segment. Hilton, indeed. We've made a few transitions. In the 80s, we went from primarily print to pay TV, and then uh, in the 90s to cellular telephony and MTN, and then um, since 97 to the Internet. And this is the, the moment <clears throat> when the, you know, the uh, sort of seesaw tips over and the Internet becomes the dominant path. If we dig into the, the Internet segment, uh, the e-commerce portion of that, revenue double there, uh, up over 100%. There's a single slide in your presentation that I think sums up your strategy completely. It's a slide of different markets around the world where... Uh, the percentage of e-commerce transactions versus the total retail transactions um, is indicated in the UK, 11%. In the US, 10%. That's uh, $1 out of every 10 um, happens online. And, and you show emerging markets alongside that. Poland, for example, at 4%. Mexico at 1%. South Africa at 1%. And then you, you indicate that... Uh, Ten years ago in, in the U.S., the U.S. was at 4% itself. Now it's at 10%. In the U.K., it was at 1%. Now it's at 11%. That's really the play here in that these emerging markets are, are surely going to catch up uh, pretty quickly. Yes, I think you've captured it. South Africa is a bit of a laggard because of our poor broadband infrastructure, which is a, a function more of regulation than anything else. Uh, Kenya, for example, is moving ahead rapidly in broadband, and so is East Nigeria. And a very interesting thing in Africa, Hilton, is actually that the, we tend to think of the Internet as basically a PC activity. Hmm. You fire up your um, 
you know, Microsoft Outlook and you go on Chrome or Google. And increasingly, it's becoming a mobile activity. Last week, for the first time, our e-commerce business in Indonesia had more hits from mobile phones than from PCs. And in Nigeria, the trend is very sharp. So I think in future, you'll conceive the Internet as something which is primarily on your mobile phone and secondarily on your desktop. Chris, if we look at uh, paid television, that is the, the profit engine of, of the Nasparis group. You've added over 1.1 million subscribers in the, in the past year, about half of those here in South Africa. What's the mix of that growth, given that you do now have a, a digital terrestrial television service in, in countries outside of South Africa? I think all, much, most of the growth will be outside South Africa. We operate in about 48 countries in Africa, and... Um, you know, the growth rate in the rest of Africa is much higher than here. I mean, it's not atypical to find 5% or better growth in many countries. The second thing is that we've got a digital terrestrial going in several places. And that's quite an interesting thing. So let's say you want to buy a satellite dish. You have to go to, the, to watch, let's say, the um, Everton game on Saturday afternoon. You'll have to go to the store on Wednesday and the cost will be 1,000 to 200 to 2,000 rand for a dish, and you need a professional installer to plonk it on your roof. Mm. It's quite an expensive and time-consuming process. <clears throat> With digital terrestrial, you'll actually go to the shop on Saturday morning, buy a 500 rand device, plug it in, and it works. Uh, now, the, the limitation is that channels tend to range around 16 to 17 around there, but we can charge... $6 to $10, let's say 50 Rand to 100 Rand per month, and still break even. And this is another area where, where South Africa is falling behind. We don't have digital terrestrial television in this market yet. Yes, I think it will come, but the whole process was really unnecessarily complex. It's a perfectly straightforward thing. The government says, let's go. It doesn't need to fund anything. The private sector will fund the whole process. The government simply has to say, go. And uh, so far, the process has been on and off. I mean, the rest of Africa is really going. The interesting thing is that a, a country like um, Tanzania is now considering switching off analog. Mm. And two countries in Africa have now taken the decision to switch it off next year. So we haven't started. They're so far advanced that they can actually switch it off. You mentioned sport there, and that really is one of the, the real differentiators. Um, you mentioned the fact that NASPERS does spend a large amount of money funding uh, a lot of these leagues and, and really building these uh, these leagues up. What about some of the murmurs that do exist in, in many markets? South Africa is one of them, where, where government is looking at this exclusivity and, and asking all sorts of questions around why this exclusivity exists and, and making some noises around perhaps opening that up somehow. Hilton, I think it's a, frankly quite a ridiculous discussion. I mean, this is how it works. I was on the World Cup committee for 10 years. In the, the income statement looks like this. 90% of all the income for the World Cup, Soccer World Cup, was from TV rights. And everything else, all the seats sold in the stadium, all the scarves, all the sponsorships amounted to less than 10%. So TV pays the bill. And if you take the South African PSL Soccer League, we pay for everything. We play for every player and the lights at the stadium, at the machine, the, you know, the, the back room. We pay all the bills. 
And the reason is that attendance at the stadiums is so low, barely covers the cost of you know, the staff for the day, and sponsorship is minute compared to TV, so it pays the bill. The reason we can pay the bill, of course, is that we have it exclusively, so the moment, let's say the government were to say, okay, ETV, you have it, it loses all appeal for us because no one will pay us to get something which is available for free, which means the value will drop to a tenth of what it's now, and the club simply can't pay the players. So, for example, at the moment, we basically support five uh, soccer leagues across Africa. It's a really expensive, but the result we get is quite good. So if we can go into Zambia, and we say to people, okay, let's fix your field. Let's get some lights in. Let's train the referees. It's a lot of investment, but in the end, uh, Zambia then has a great soccer league. The viewers come in. The viewers pay us. We pay the money across to the uh, soccer league, and the whole thing livens up. So soccer all over the world is supported just by TV. There's n- we, we pay more in soccer in Africa than all the governments combined. You know, governments typically do not support sport. The, the money they give is really quite small. So the economy of soccer, as an example, worldwide turns on TV rights, and the TV rights turn on someone paying, and you can never make the same money from sport on free TV as you would on pay TV, so all over the world, the whole soccer fraternity is basically supported by pay TV. And in a country where they don't have a strong pay TV player, the soccer league is simply impoverished. So I think that debate is going nowhere. That's Chris Racker, the Chief Executive of NASFARS. That full interview will be online at today tomorrow morning as well as on our apps. David, he tells it as it is. It is, and he tells us why we got kicked out of the World Cup, because he sponsored all the other leagues. See? But uh, it's actually an incredible insight that um, into, into the world of soccer, particularly in Africa, and I think it's going to get stronger. But uh, great results, and I mean, just look at the growth in e-commerce, particularly mm. in China. Property Insights brought to you by Redefine Properties. Redefine, we're not landlords, we're people. Well, the listed property sector on the JSE continues to have a rather rough ride uh, given the volatility, given uh, some of the spikes we've seen in, in, in the bond market. Ian Anderson is Chief Investment Officer at Grindrod Asset Management. Ian, the, pro- the, the property sector had been going along quite well earlier this year. Uh, we had gotten to, to quite a significant level above where we ended off last year. How well had the sector performed before the recent volatility? Well, we, we touched on returns of around about 20% come the middle of May um, on the back of a whole lot of positives, the conversion to REIT status, declining interest rates and bond yields at that stage. A number of the companies had reported stronger earnings and were forecasting much stronger earnings going forward. And, of course, everything changed uh, from the middle of May towards the end of May onwards. Where are we now? We're pretty much flat on the year now. So since the 17th of May... Uh, up until close of business yesterday, the sector had given back 18.6%, so pretty much flat on the year. As far as the the conversion to REITs is concerned, we, we are seeing a number of announcements uh, almost daily uh, from these, these property funds who are converting to REITs who have received the approval. What's your take on, on that conversion to a real estate investment trust? Is, is this already in the price, or are we likely to see some, some action going forward? I think the action that we'll see will will be in the larger listed property companies. 
probably only the top five or six by market capitalization. At the end of the day, the, the REIT status will only appeal to foreign investors who had previously overlooked the sector because it didn't have any REITs. So those foreign investors are usually very large investors. They look for highly liquid in, uh, investments, and you just don't find that in our South African listed property sector, other, other than maybe the top five or six by market capitalization. Whether or not it's in the prices, well, it, it probably was in the prices mm-hmm. in the middle of May. I doubt whether it's in the price today. I think the listed property sector on a forward yield of around 7.3% with very good distribution growth prospects is actually offering good value at the moment. However, we, we need to be mindful of what's happening in the bond market, what's happening to real yields globally and here in South Africa, and that will continue to drive short-term performance in the sector. Ian Anderson is Chief Investment Officer at Grindrod Asset Management. Property Insights was brought to you by Redefine Properties. Redefine. We're not landlords, we're people. Here we are, Wombat Consulting. Morning, sir. Oh, jeez, it's like the North Pole in here. Air conditioning's on the blink. Huh? Sorry, Mandy. Oh, can't you fix that? Landlords don't have the budget. Nina's mustard they are. Why don't you find somewhere else then? Actually, it's not so bad. We get snow in the canteen sometimes. What the hell was that? Arctic wolves. Don't worry, they ignore us most of the time. Just like a stupid landlord. Need better space? More space? Less space? Call Redefine Properties. Redefine. We're not landlords. We're people. Well, it was a day where the JSE ended up 1%, 38,484 on the all-share of the rand, currently at 10.07 to the dollar. This has been the SAFM Market Update with Money, where we're back at 6 o'clock tomorrow, 6.30 now, and time for game plan.